Hey, it's Laura. If you're listening to this, you're not hearing the complete unedited version of this conversation. If you want in on that, you can get it by becoming a TMST Plus member. Just head over to our website at tmstpod.com and click support. All right, enjoy the show. Hey, it's Laura. I don't know when you're listening to this, but right now it's time for John in the Morning. Oh my God. I clearly could never be a DJ. I had to take that intro about six times and each time made me cringe harder than the last. So we're just going to go with it. Uh, John Richards is an actual DJ. He's today's guest and he's a morning drive host at KEXP in Seattle. For actual decades, he's been the soundtrack to the lives of people starting their day. I think we can agree getting inside someone's head in the morning is pretty close to a sacred space. He handpicks every record he plays and his taste of new and old indie and just generally amazing stuff has earned him fans around the world. John has an endless supply of priceless stories that are like candy for someone like me, and I'm guessing more than a few of you, like hosting a show with Arcade Fire with only two microphones, which is a band, by the way, that has no less than 10 members at any given point. And those stories, yeah, they're completely not the point, but part of the reason we ended up talking for over two hours. But I wanted to sit down with John because KEXP and John himself are somewhat of unicorn brands. They're a radio station, yes, but they're really a whole movement. It's fair to say that KEXP is one of, if not the, tastemaker for up-and-coming indie music. Some of my absolute favorite bands have been discovered on their YouTube channel, which you absolutely have to subscribe to if you aren't already. But they've also got a much bigger message. They want you to know that you're not alone, that you are loved, and that there's a reason to get up every day, even when it seems like there's not. John is a charming and quick and funny guy, even when sharing about his battles with anxiety and depression, which he does really openly. I think he's a powerful role model for how our struggles don't define us and that we can put even the gnarliest hard times to good use. He was one of those people that I could have talked to for days, where from the first minute we got on, I knew it was gonna be awesome. This conversation is exactly why we created Tell Me Something True. There are extraordinary people in the world, like John, putting themselves out there for others, and it matters. It really makes a difference. All right, enjoy. I'm so excited to have you. It's great to meet you. I want to help people understand what you do because mm-hmm. it's pretty. It's pretty unique. I think there's there's commercial radio where you know the company tells people what to play. Super limited. It's about getting attention to sell ads. Then there's there's public radio, which I think of as like NPR. I think most people do. And then there's college and community radio stations, can, which can be fun. I credit you all with discovering some of my favorite bands ever. So in your view, what, is, what role does KXP play in our culture? Well, again, <clears throat> I think the way you describe it too is is so important. So you you do have your commercial stations who don't care about music. They care about the same hundred songs and they sell ads. So you can't take chances. You can't champion music. You can't get behind musicians. And when you go really far the other direction and you get a lot of community radio is great, but it doesn't necessarily have reach or people who are programming necessarily for the audience. And what we, and then when you get into public radio, yeah, it, it often is seen as NPR or music stations, uh, water it down with news or take away some of its I don't know, emotional connection by 
slappy news at the top of the hour. And even those stations, most do not allow their DJs to program shows not from a list. But at the same time, the ones that go super freeform, you can run into that problem where you're you're not, again, programming for people. So it is, it's a very fine line. And at the end of the day, what happens is people don't trust their DJs. And then the other trick is make sure you invest in and hire the right people. Our role is really at the end of the day to connect listeners to musicians, period. When you see KXP, you just think music. So is it listener funded? Business and listener supported, but community supported almost 100%. A lot of people have this illusion that there's there's all these grants and all this money coming in. And if I had it my way, we wouldn't, it would be zero, but it does help. There is a little bit there, but what we, uh, a majority of our funding, I think 60% comes straight in from donors and then your business support during the pandemic, it disappeared. So that, that was a big hit, but the business support is back and that's usually about 30% and then about 10% is your grants and other uh, events and other uh, ways of getting income. But the the core of it, the, how we're able to be on the air is, is donors. You know, I'm, I'm a fundraiser on top of being a DJ. So um, that's the other thing that we do. We fundraise all the time and we're not apologetic for it. If you listen, if you use a service of a nonprofit, you should pay uh, your share, whatever you can afford. Yeah. And it's one in 10, one in 10 do that. Nine other people are rolling off the backs of, of one person. And, and the way I always say it, it's like, if you give $5, if you give $1,000, if you give $10,000, we will treat you the same. It's like a band. Yeah, that's a, well, the the not paying is a sort of cultural artifact of many things. Uh, some, as someone who's in the recovery space, it's very similar and for different reasons, but it's like nothing, everything should always be free. Always be free. Well, and at some point, music became free to people, which is during the Napster time, especially and this this illusion that musicians are making a great living, not even 1% are making a good living. And so this idea that art and music should be free to them is insane to me. Like you are literally killing the artists who are making the music for you and, and you have a you have a duty to support them. You go to Bandcamp, go to their shows, pay for their Patreons. Anything else they're doing is how you support this band. And you have to make that decision somewhere inside of you that you're going to support a band. And um, we learned during the pandemic what happens when there is no music being played and it's not pretty. So everybody has to do their part to get out of this. It's like walking into a museum, like, well, I'll take that one. You know, like, this is mine. This artwork's there. Or walk into someone's studio and be like, I have every right to own that. Goodbye and take it out. Not now. How's the artist supposed to pay the rent to be able to make that art? And I don't see why we don't see music the same way. They deserve, they deserve a living wage, and that's never going to happen in our country. It happens in other countries. The support that they receive, but it will never happen in the United States. So, we as a community have to decide how important musicians, musicians, and music are to us for years of work. <laughs> years. So, have you been at KXP for twenty years? I have. Wow. That's yes, awesome. I know. It's very weird. No, it's great. I mean, who keeps I just never thought I'd be that person. I never thought I'd really? be, a, but it just doesn't have a ceiling. So yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. Uh, and you, have you done the morning show the whole time? I have. Yep. So what is it about the morning show that you like? Well, when I was in my twenties and they were making it, um, available, I knew no one else would apply. That was my original. And I was right. They were like, Fuck this, man. I'm not, I'm not getting up this early to go up to do radio. And then I knew, like for me, I wasn't a morning person necessarily, but I, the idea, I had sub-sub shows and I had, you know, done, I did an overnight first, but when it became available, I really like starting people's day off because when you're in the morning, you're, you're in the foreground, you're not in the background. So later shows, you're kind of in the background. You, you mm-hmm. like morning and then drive time still is a thing. Um, morning, but for sure is because I have people going to work, getting ready or on another time zone or another part of the world who are ready to be a foreground listener. So it worked in the beginning when they're before the internets was broadcasting the show, believe it or not, I would get on and set everybody's table. And it just like to set your, like my goal over the years is, is to make sure you feel that you're not alone, that you have the tools to face your day. And I think you need music as a tool to face your day every day. So it's up to me to make some kind of soundtrack, a mixtape that you get every morning. And that just really appealed to me. But for me to be able to 
to know my job was to talk to people and to play music. I've never, not one, this is a true story, no matter how bad, and I've been in some bad spots over the years um, while doing the show in my, in whatever, personal life or professional life. Not one time have I dreaded or not wanted to go to the show. Not one time. There's, there's never, and the day I do is a day I retire because I, I just don't think you should take this space up if you can't be passionate about it every day. So yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle choice. My family has to, my, my kids have to adjust. They don't know any difference. So they didn't adjust. I shouldn't say that. Um, my wife, we married, um, she's known me a long time, but we married when I, uh, let's see my first son was three. And so like a while ago and she had to adjust. That was, I was a really attractive candidate there. I get up at four. I have a, I have a kid. I have full custody of a three-year-old. Uh, I also was living in new, I was living in New York and in Seattle. So I'm not really based anywhere. And by the way, a lot of people know who I am. So the minute you're with me, they're going to know who you are. So come on in. It's going to be great. When are you done with work? I mean, you uh, probably also do things at night and shows. And yeah, so yeah, so it's interesting. Um, one of the reasons I'm able to do the show and why I've done it this long is because I do other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people understand that and some don't. I can't understand anyone who does one thing. I, I And it's cool. I, I'm down and I'm jealous at times because maybe you get to just like be done. So that's, I, I'm not, my way might be totally wrong. But I don't know any other way. The reason I've been able to stay on the air and do this job is because I do other things. And I've all my life done that. So for me, it, it doesn't necessarily end. I will work usually till, you know, like 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon. And then I'm a runner. So I run five or six days a week, maybe 30 or 40 miles a week. So I have to get that in from that. And, and my mental health, like I don't think I could do life without running. I've been running since I was 10. So I've realized like dealing with my depression, running has been a big part of that. And then I own, I, I host a podcast, the doctor and the DJ shout out to that podcast. Great. Uh, and I own a bar and I do music supervision and then I just, I do some talks and other things. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it sounds like you, are you have arranged your life, uh, and seemingly your work around who you are. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, there for me also now I created my world around a lot around recovery mm-hmm. and people in recovery and mental health stuff. And, and so all the things I do are around that. So it does, yes, I'm working, but sometimes I can't tell if I'm working or not. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, my entire, um, so my family, my entire family are alcoholics, my father's side. Um, my brother and I are the only ones who made it through, um, mm. My sister struggles quite a bit. Um, it's pretty dire, actually. And my father died very, uh, I think, young. And his father's father—they all alcoholics. So there's a there's 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 a lot of that in my world. Um, and and it's it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. The mental health world, which you talk about a lot, and we'll get yeah. into, uh, and addiction. They're they're close. They're siblings often. Yep. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I'm I'm sorry for your dad and and then uh yeah, any family it it spreads like wildfire in families. Just It did, does. you know, and I didn't see it coming in my in my family. Like or my 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 brothers and sisters. like it that that I I think cuz I made it and I um my Were you brother the oldest I'm the middle child. Uh-huh. And it it scared me so much to what alcohol did to my dad and then how it affected us. Like that was such a bad situation. And, and luckily my mom and dad divorced when I was 10, Mm. but, um, it was brutal to watch him pass and, and to see the, the dependence even in death was just so shocking. Um, that, that it, it probably was, you know, but, but I know I have it in me. Like for instance, I don't gamble. Okay. Like I don't, and I, I want to gamble. I, <laughs> yeah. I really desperately do. I like played poker back in the day with my friends, you know, I was really into it. And then we do like betting on sports. I know a lot of sports. I do pretty well there. <laughs> I, I had these thoughts like, oh, I'm going to get into this. And then like my uncle died penniless because he just, he gambled it all away in his alcoholism 
because he's a, he's an addict. He couldn't stop. And I thought, oh my God, if I start, I'm never going to stop. Like you're getting into drugs. Like, like when everyone was smoking pot, I was like, yeah, I think I might do that every day for the rest of my life if I really get into this. So I think I'm going to not. And so I think for me, work and running is like the itch. People, some people seem to have that instinct where they see it when their parents or someone in their family or whatever, and they're just scared enough by it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it lands with them. Like I saw it. <laughs> But I didn't really make the connection. It was, there was some, that's not me. That's this. It's not connected to me. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, cause I saw it all over my family and it just never felt, I never felt any fear around it. Yeah. They're they're in my family. It's the same thing. Some saw it, some didn't. And it's no fault of their own for not seeing it. It's just the way people. The way it hits you. And how you're built and your DNA or whatever else is like just how you. Cause I have no idea. I don't have any, just my, my sister and I are just different. We just, we just were born different and it's, it bums me out that she didn't have this particular, I guess, superpower really to get through it because it's, you know, and I look at my kids and I, I already worry, like it's in my family. I want to go towards like some of the projects that mm-hmm. you have done at KXP and, um, music heals especially. So I'm going to just read this little bit about it. Music Heals Mental Health is a day of programming dedicated to calling attention to the public health crisis that is depression and anxiety and exploring how music can help us know we're not alone. This is you. Music has incredible power. I hear from listeners every day about a song or a lyric that helped them heal, process, grieve, or just find the strength to go on. We hope that Music Heals Mental Health can help listeners live with mental that live with mental illness know that there is a whole community out here that cares about them. You're not alone. Okay, so just tell tell me about music heals. Like how how did it come to be, and and how does it fit within your life now? Um, my mom died um, seventeen years ago, and I was pretty new to DJing. Um, and I got on the air and started talking about that. I talked about my father dying. He, he died about four year, three years before that. So I. I started to go through this on the air. And so when I started talking about my mom in particular, she was, she had lung cancer and was over in Spokane, which is about 300 miles east of here where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back. So I had to talk about it. So I had, it was forced me into the, I always think of the Howard Stern movie when he was forced into, uh, which I loved, um, yeah, I <laughs> very different, but I loved when he had to be himself. Yeah. He, he like, he like screws up a read and he has to just talk in a human it really connected to me. Cause I had that same moment. Mine just happened to be on public radio. So mine was around grief, not an ad. Yeah. Um, but I had to talk about it. And so when I did, I, I realized you I had was, to talk about it. I'm sorry, because you had to get through it. I literally logistically, I had to go like, Hey, I have to go out of town. I'm not going to be on the air. Yeah. So it didn't really start as like, I'm going to talk about this. I just didn't know what else to do. So I was going to be just very honest. Like I'd been up to that point, pretty honest, but mm-hmm. just didn't get into my life too much. And so I thought people wouldn't care. And so when I started talking about grief, as you can imagine, everyone started connecting and, and people battling cancer and people who've lost their parents or whatever. And so yeah. the support was unbelievable and from my colleagues, but but even more so from my, from the listeners. So I, I just went through that and then I got on the air after and I talked about it and then this anniversary hit and I said, I'm going to play a song. My mom and I programmed her funeral and music. My mom really <laughs> loved music, especially near the end of her life. She listened to my show and we were able to sit around during that time and plan the music for her funeral and play songs to make her feel better. I remember I got in an argument with a hospice nurse because she said I was playing the wrong music and I was like, lady. Wrong. <laughs> I love hospice. They were the greatest people. Are. This particular woman was not a match though. She's like, no. eh, maybe someone else here. She's like, you need to be, she was like, this is, we're only going to play new age, like healing music. And I, yeah, I don't, my mom, no, my mom wants to hear Echo and the Bunny Man and Cigarettes. I think it's going to be different. So, so we play in Jayhawks and like all this great stuff. And so, we, I prog- I played that music. And so music heals, it really, it was just called the mom show. It still is. And so that started happening. And then we started talking about doing a show on cancer and we talked to people in our community and we started using the music heals around the cancer show. And so we started talking about cancer, not in regards, I mean, it's how my parents died and a lot of people I know, but, but just in our community and Seattle is such a center of cancer care. It's humble. It's so much, there's so much here. Um, cancer research and cancer places. People come here all the time dealing with cancer. So we work with different organizations. So that grew. Then when we talk more about that, then we got into addiction and said, well, that is a major, like Kevin, uh, Kevin Cole, who's a DJ at the station and been there about as long as I have. Um, he has been sober for years now. And 
he want to talk about that as what he goes through and yeah. what a lot of musicians go through in our community. So, and then again, the response was huge. And then the last one was like the one that we don't talk about. And that was depression. And that was my Isn't thing. Isn't that and funny? I, it just, you didn't, you know what? I as, When was that? It was recent. It actually was in the last few years. So I, I talked about everything on the air and I never once talked about being depressed or having anxiety. And I have a lot of anxiety and depression in my life. So in my mind, I wasn't, I kind of was lying, you know, and I, it made me a good DJ because it didn't mean I just play. The funny thing is when you do admit you deal with depression, this happens to me. Oh my God, I admit this, but I will play like an Elliot Smith song or Nick Drake or something. I swear to God, man, people mean well, but it's John. <laughs> John, are, are you, you okay? okay? <laughs> is everything all right? As if I don't have a producer or people around. You're like, no, I, I'm, I'm, this is the last day, you know? And like, I, 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 and I, and I say usually like, if I'm depressed like this, I don't listen to music. I just can't. I'm so glad you said that because I wanted to ask about that specifically. Yeah. The first year or so, maybe two that I was, I was getting sober. I didn't listen to any music. I couldn't, it was, I could not feel that much. As someone who experiences a lot of depression, like how do you navigate that? Because you're someone who loves music. The show helps. The show helps a lot. And, it, and it's ironic that I say I don't listen to music, but I've been on the air depressed probably 500 times, like at least. I'm sure it's more. And sometimes you don't know. You don't even know. You're like, well, I'm just tired. And you're like, oh my God, I feel really bad. Um, world events going on around you or your own personal stuff or just, you know, or nothing. That's the thing about depression is like, hey, guess what we're going to do today? We're going to think nothing's worth living for. Okay, great. So go do a radio show. But luckily mine's music. And so I will play music there. But then when I'm done and I'm feeling bad, I'm not ready for music when I'm feeling that bad. So I need silence and I will take it. But when I'm sort of in that middle ground where I I know I'm, and this has been more recent, mm. I I learned you have to say to yourself, I'm depressed. I'm sad. It's okay. And, and it seems so basic and, and no, and we can't do it as a society because nobody gives us permission. This is why I didn't talk about it on the air too. There's this weakness and your and being a man, especially you're raised like, dude, you don't ever talk about that. You don't go to therapy. Mm -hmm. You don't talk about depression. You're, 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 you're weak. Mm -hmm. And so I thought people wouldn't want to listen uh, to my show anymore. So I, I, I would, I wouldn't talk about it. And so now I, I admit it. I'll even admit it on the air. Like I am not feeling great today. So if I, if I know I'm feeling bad and I know I feel depressed, I actually can go to music. And what I go to, it's gotta be palate cleansing, seminal albums from my past, nothing new. And I, and I love new music. I live for new music. I make a living on new music, but I will go like Joshua Tree. I've got to listen to that 14 times and get a little <laughs> obsessive about it, you know, yes. or just, and I'll stick with one thing. Like listen to the In Excess Kick album for like three straight weeks is all I would listen to on my downtime. Like it yeah. just made me feel better every time because it brought me back. It like, I didn't have to it's think about it. too. Yeah. I know all the words. It's just, it's just like, it's happy for the most part. And so... Of course, I picked the band where the guy you know, killed himself, but I I'd still, you know, but there's something in there. And so that's what I'll do when I'm again more. This is more often now when I'm feeling down. It isn't it isn't me saying, OK, I need to feel better. I'm going to play music. It's I need a companion while I feel bad. There is a yeah. difference, because if you're looking for it just to heal you or to make you feel like when we say music heals, I mean it. But it's it's a long term care. It's not a band aid. You, it's like a a practice. You know, my, my wife's a naturopath. You know, it's not just giving you a pill. You've got to sleep. You've got to exercise. You got to eat right. You got to do all the things. And then when you do need a pill, yeah, you'll get one. But for me, music's the same thing. It's going to take time and it's going to take like you just digging into it when you're feeling bad. But yeah, first have to admit you feel bad. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm the executive producer of Tell Me Something True, and I co-created the show with Laura. We built TMST and our online community with the hope of creating a sane spot on the internet. We're really passionate about the ad-free nature of this work. Our belief is that this project will work best if we're not hustling to keep advertisers happy, and we keep our attention on you, the TMST community. And this is where you can play a major role. TMST Plus is the membership group that helps to keep this podcast going. 
Whether it's through a monthly membership or a one-time contribution, TMST Plus members are vital to this experiment. As a TMST Plus member, you get to join Laura for member-only events, send in questions for the guests, hear the complete unedited interviews, and connect with other TMST community members. You know, sometimes we feel like we can't make a difference in the world. With a TMST Plus membership, you can be keeping this space alive and thriving for a one-time gift or for as little as 10 bucks a month. You can find the link in the show description. And then please head over to tmstpod.com right now to support the show. And thanks. I want to talk about depression a little bit, if that's all right. Sure. Um, what is it like for you? Like, when did you sort of figure out that that was a thing going on for you? And then when did you, when did you start to talk about it? Yeah, I, I didn't know I had depression because we didn't, that wasn't a thing. Like, I didn't, I had, I was 80, I am ADD. And you probably, if you listen to me, you can hear that. Um, or if you watch me here, I've got like, <laughs> um, it's a superpower. You just have to hone Oh, no. I try to tell my, my oldest that who also was ADD and I, I, I stopped going to school my freshman year of high school. So I was a pretty popular kid in fifth, sixth, seventh, like, and then it just, I, I, I thought about this later. Like it just started to go downhill. I couldn't figure out why I, I, you know, I did sports, I was social. And then I, I didn't know this, but I was depressed. I, I was so depressed. I think for a number of reasons, I couldn't, handle how people treated each other, especially at that age. Like I couldn't witness it anymore. Like, and I had my instances and my, I had one in particular that was really bad, but over for the re that isn't the reason I wasn't going, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't even be around it. And I, and, I, yeah. and then I had this, I remember thinking like, none of this matters. I don't really, this is, I don't, none of this matters. I don't care about the subject. So why would I go? And it, it, we have a saying in my house that mental health is physical health and physical health is mental health. So it manifested in sickness. I felt sick all the time. Mm. And to this day, I will tell you, I could, I had symptoms. I, I felt sick in my- You were a sickie. Yeah. My mom just couldn't do it. She's a single mom. She's raising three kids. And then here I am, can't go to school because I'm sick. So I missed so much school. I dropped out my freshman year. And that is a bad place to be. You've just started high school. Yeah. Like 15 formative years. Yeah. And now you're the freak. And everyone just assumes like that dude is a drug addict or he's, I wasn't doing anything like that. So anyway, I, I went through that and what happened, I'll never forget what happened. I was suicidal. I didn't even really understand what that meant. I just knew I didn't want to get out of bed anymore. I didn't want to live anymore. I just knew that was it. I didn't sit and say, this is how I'm going to kill myself. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And so it became for an active guy with social, it just, I, I can't imagine, I can't talk to my mom now about it. I wish I could. That is one thing we didn't yeah. talk a lot about because I didn't understand it even when she died. It took me just till recently to figure this out. But one of the, you know, there, there's a way out. And even to this day, it's, it's the same formula, at least for me, because I stopped exercising. I, I wasn't social. My friends disappeared except my best friend. And then my mom, that was it. It was my whole social world was my buddy, John and my mom. Mm -hmm. that's it. And, and for months, but then, um, an old friend of mine, I knew since I was young, for some reason she was popular. I have no idea what she was doing hanging out. <laughs> she saw the goodness in oh, me. Yes. Like she, she was a good person. And, and we knew each other since we were kids. She lived next to my cousin and we just, we just hung out. We she just reached out. I think she knew I was going through a hard time and we talked. My friend John stuck with me. I started thinking about playing sports again, how much I missed it. And then I was, I was listening to really bad music. That wasn't helping. And my brother, my big brother, and he was just out of town. He, it's not that he didn't care. He just had his own stuff going on. He lived in Seattle or Phoenix and he moved to Seattle. But he sent me a tape and I was sitting on the floor. I remember putting it in. I had a dual cassette player and I was sitting on my red carpet. And I remember, I remember my shirt was white. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I put it, it was this band called Pixies I'd never heard of. That and I band, put it in the player. Yeah, he put it on and hit play. Wow. It's like, oh, what did, what did my brother send me? Wow. 
his teeth as white as snow. What a gas it was to see him walk her every day into a shady place. With a lip, she said, she Every, it was everything changed. My entire, I'm not kidding. Like everything, I get a chill now even telling you, like everything changed. Yeah, it, it was like, if it was a movie, they ever do a movie, that'd be the scene where like the lights kind of come on or stars or- Color fills or, the Yeah, or they focus in on my face and I'm just like, <laughs> because what happened was I had a reason to get up now. I discovered great music. I discovered weird music and new music and things I'd never heard. What else is out there? Oh my God, this could be, oh my God, if this is one thing, what are the other things, you know? And he started sending me more tapes. And then I started seeing this, this person and, and she seemed like I kind of got why I might be a good person. And then I started playing sports again and lettered in sports and like got back to school and then worked my way back. And I had reasons to get up every day. I was a walking breakfast club. I was like, Every genre was a sports guy, the stoner, the music guy, the, you know, and I was smart. It turns out I was like on the honor roll when I wanted to be. So I focused and like, and then I chilled out later, but like that sophomore year. And then I actually graduated with my class. I worked my ass off. I went seven, eight classes every, every summer I went to summer school. I didn't apologize to anyone for it. They're like, oh, you're here for driver's ed. I'm like, oh no, I'm here for English. I'm here for, <laughs> hello. Uh, yeah, I'm here with like, I'm meeting some new people. And, uh, and so I met all these nice people and there's a certain comfort, like, uh, <laughs> there's like Nirvana says, you know, there's a comfort in being sad, but there's a comfort in rock bottom. I, I, you know how I want to teach my kids, like you need to not give a shit. Like when you go to school, like what anyone thinks of you, if you ended up where I did, you go to school and you're like, I, I really don't care what any of you think of me. I've already been on rock, bottom. I'm the weirdo who's in the class b before us and after us. Two of my best friends of this day were in the class because I was behind that I met. <laughs> so I, I have more friends from that class. See, good things happen. My girlfriend was in that yeah, class. The yeah, the rock bottom thing is real. I mean, you can't beat the caring out of yeah. teenager, out of humans, teenagers, what other people think. But rock bottom situations will do that. It just snaps. Because oh, yeah. everything at, after that is like compared to what? Like, yeah, this sucks yeah. compared and, to what? <laughs> yeah, not like what, you know, worst case scenario, there's always worse, but you, you got a pretty good idea what a worst case scenario can be. So for me, it was like, that sort of set me on the road. And then it was only years later that I, I go, oh my God, that was depression. Cause then I actually started dealing with it and anxiety was the, was a big driver in it. Just being scared of everything. Totally. No, I mean, a quick side note, a good thing about anxiety is one of my anxiety things was pandemics. Like I had a real <sighs> fear of pandemics. So for me, when this hit, it was like, yeah, y'all yeah. don't understand. I, <laughs> and my wife was like, oh, we got to get these. Out she's like, this for 20 years. Yeah. She's like, we got to get these N95 masks. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're in the garage. I got like, I got like, three boxes. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you need? Do you need gloves? She's like, yeah, I think we need gloves. Like, yeah, I got those too. Do you not know I've been storing? Low-key prepper for 20 years, honey. Yeah, low-key prepper is exactly right. Like just <laughs> enough water and just enough mat, like in case. But it went a different direction. Like I thought I'd be like fighting off the hordes coming from my stuff. It was more like, oh, no, we're actually just in a liberal city. We're okay. And everyone yeah. else is crazy. Okay, got it. All right. But that like that. But if an anxiety moment hits for something else, that's a whole different ball of wax. So did you ever tell the Pixies th about that moment? So then I had a, so I'm at home. I pick, I'm interviewing the Pixies the next day and I suddenly feel very sick to my stomach, but for real. Oh. I'd already had this cold and I started throwing up violently. It's the most violently I've ever thrown up my entire life. I was so sick. I couldn't get out of bed and couldn't make the Pixies on my show. Shut up. And someone had to do it for me. No. Yeah, I have a, I have a poster in my office. Uh, uh, that they, it's right there. It says, where's my mind? And on it, it says, where's John? Uh, Black oh Francis. My God. Yeah, I'm staring right at it. Yeah. So the good news is that would have been the pinnacle and I would have had to retire. So in my mind, I missed Maybe it. Maybe you were saved from peaking. Yeah. People said you must be so depressed. I was like, you know, I'm just happy I'm my health. 
and one day maybe they'll they'll be up. I did get to see I get, did get to meet him. He it was funny. He came to the station. We had this band Hot Hot Heat at the time and they mm-hmm. they were a big deal, I guess. This huge bus. It took up the entire parking lot. It's just like just massive blah, and it's coming. And then we had a Frank Black session afterwards. So, you know, I was conveniently hanging around just to see. And I see a cab pull up and he gets out. He's got his little amp, his little guitar. He comes waltzing in. He's like, yeah, I'm Frank Black or whatever. <laughs> Charles Peters, whatever. And I was at the door, like uh, working the front door now, waiting for him. I'm like, I am John and I am a DJ here. And I just want to thank you for your music. And you saved my life. And he said, thank you so much. And that was good enough for me. That was good enough. Yeah. It's more just to have that moment to say. He's probably heard it a million times, but yeah. you get to say it, right? Fascinating. Okay, so so depression, that's an amazing story. And and now, you know, at some point you just you went to therapy, I assume, mm-hmm. you start talking about it. It seems to be a theme in your online presence that you just state it as like a matter of fact. Like, yeah. this is where I am right now. I think if you see me, and I have a great marriage and these two great kids and a cool job and owning a bar, which everyone thinks is the greatest thing ever. You should own one through a pandemic. I'll tell you differently. Um, and, and you see, if you see someone and they are depressed, what I'm trying to say is these are not cures, um, for, for depression. In fact, they amplify them. Like my public job amplifies my depression. I know that there's a, people look at, at Chris Cornell or Kurt Cobain or others in my city who have taken their lives and mm-hmm. they were like, but they had everything. It's like, yeah, but that's, first off, the problem is they thought that was a cure. They thought as it was going, they probably didn't think, well, if I could just be popular, I'd be cured. But when they're in it, they're like, oh my gosh. And then when you say to yourself, I have this much and I still, I feel worse then how, then you don't see any solution to this problem. You're, you're going to, there's a good chance you're going to give up because you're like, the, it doesn't get any better than making music and like making enough money to not worry about money and to like, you know, do whatever, do what you want to do. And so, but if you haven't dealt with your depression, then it ain't going to matter. So I think if I talk about it and normalize it, that's my job. And it's because I'm getting through it and because people have been kind to me, because the community supported me and then my own kind of mission, I feel it's really important that I just talk about it matter of factly, normalize it. So when you feel that way, maybe you won't give up and maybe you'll start to develop the tools even they don't have to be my tools, but you'll develop some tools along the way. And then we save some lives of some amazing people who may, may help the world or just, and by help the world, I mean, they might just love somebody. They might just raise their kid, right? They might help a stranger. They might, they might just, I don't know, maybe they'll write an amazing book. Maybe they'll make an amazing song, you know, like that they'll put something good in the world. And I don't know about you, but we need as many good people as possible out there putting good in the world. And so for me, I just think if we can, if people are around my world, they must have something in them that makes them think because I'm not a commercial DJ. I'm not programming the same stuff. I'm doing something different. So if you've come around my world somehow, I feel like I got a shot here to make you feel maybe that you can do it. I can't help you. I technically can't physically help you through this, but I can give you maybe the tools that, that are available. Music heals. You are loved. You are important. You are not alone. Yeah. Someone loves you. No question. And you got to love yourself. Nothing's going to happen until you love yourself. Music is indeed healed. And you're important. So many people don't think they're important. They think they need to be doing something to make them important. You're important to someone. There's no question you're important to someone. And if you're not, you might be at some point. Get a dog. You'll be super important to that dog. That are going to love you. That's right. And don't give up on that. And you give up. You say, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worth loving. And that's the work you have to do now then. You have to do that work now. Because if you don't do that work just setting yourself up to, to be loved, you, you have to love yourself first. So telling someone you are loved is a way to do that. You are loved. You're, I mean, you're, you're God, we're on the, we walk the earth. We, a lot of us, the same time as David Bowie and Prince. <laughs> Let's just start we, there. We walk the earth currently with Dolly Parton. Like mm-hmm. life's worth living. Pretty much as close to a, a living saint That's right. as we're going to get. That's what's exactly right. Like, what are the odds? This is amazing. Yeah, like, like Paul McCartney's alive still. Knock on wood. He's you know we're yeah chugging along. Like it's there's worse times to have lived. I've often felt like joy is this weird sister to grief. When I have been in my most grief, I also yeah have access to joy because your heart is cracked open. Do you feel like depression, living with you know depression, anxiety has allowed you more gratitude? 
Yes. You know what it's allowed? It's allowed more gratitude for quiet moments when I feel good. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Day before, it was so, you can't tell now, it's beautiful out right now, but it was so gross outside. And I had, I had, a, I had just, I was at home and my kids were, were, my kid was right next to me here playing some video game and my other one was working on some homework and my wife was doing some. I, I, this is the greatest feeling ever, ever. Like there's nothing you could have handed me. Because you, what, tell me. <clears throat> because I could, could appreciate peace in a quiet moment and like just feeling loved and in a loving area. Like before I would have even noticed, and this is maybe even a few years ago that I wouldn't be able to stop by, by knowing I feel good. I feel content. I don't have to have this happiness and joy and just like, that is not life. And when we try to, we try to reach that, this is why we're depressed. Life is hard. And then you have these nice moments of calm. And then these really great moments of a moment of just amazing, like whatever happened, like you fell in love, you had a child, you like, you're, I, I don't know, your soccer team won. Like, you know, that's for me, that'd be a big one. And, and like, yeah, like singing, we are the champions when the Sounders won the cup with my wife and the, that that's like top 10. So I like soccer. So, or, or seeing my kid go out and score his first goal, you know, like those are those moments. And depression allows me to see that and be like, this is easily one of the greatest moments of my life. And I'm going to hold on to this right now. And then on these quiet moments, these moments I'm going to appreciate. And that's it. Like these being able to sit and read or have peace or listen to a song because you, because I get to, or I want to, oh my gosh, like yeah. that, that is where I appreciate it because of depression because, and I think other people just go through life and they don't stop. They don't understand. This is so great. Like these moments you have are so amazing. Why do you think you like live shows? Your wife seems like an amazing woman mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that you two are doing a podcast together. So how did that come to be and what's it been like? Well, I married up. I just want to make that very clear right now. She's, <laughs> she's amazing. Well, well, you'll have to send her this episode. <laughs> so she's joined me. So she is, she was in the music world. She's, she for years and she's a, a trained pian, a piano player as well. Uh, she in college majored in music and very smart. She and my favorite. Yeah, she, it's. I'm very lucky to be able to live in a home and hear oh. like Sati being played upstairs. Oh or she learned the succession theme on piano. No. She plays piano. Um, she went back to school. She went back to be a doctor. She should. She's a healer. So she went back when she was pregnant with Henry, and suddenly was in community college doing physics and chemistry classes. I was just like, what is even happening? And went back and then went to school. And and during that time, um, she ran into some medical issues and her father died. So it yeah. it it took a toll. And so it took her a little longer. But as she says, better than I do, she's like, there's no time to this. There's no rules. <laughs> this is when you have to get done. This is life. This is how you this is when I'm going to get done. And so she became a doctor and it was during the pandemic. And so and then she had to build a practice here out of our home. So we were doing my show. And her practice out of the same office upstairs and I was not in here. And so, and we were having bands on the lawn. I should mention that live music died. So we called them lawn in the morning. Oh my God. I know. Listener came up with it. I'm not that smart or that dumb. And so we started having (laughs) artists every Friday in our front yard. We would, cause she used to do music production as well, produce events and stuff. So we just like throw lines out the window and hook up microphones and amps and stuff. We didn't really tell the neighbors. (laughs) They just sort of figured it out. And we had bands out there. So we were doing that. And then she would join me over the years on my grief show because she's had some some uh, more grief than anyone I know, actually. I just know the two big stories. Yeah, our sister yeah. was murdered. Her her brother died in an avalanche. Um, and then some very, very close friends died as well. Um, and her father just passed. So she's also being a doctor and being the kind of doctor she is knows, you know, like she talks on the air to our listeners about taking time for grief, like that you need to schedule it, that you should treat it like any other thing you're dealing with and, and not put it somewhere, you know? So having her on was amazing. So we do these death and music events around town where we'd have musicians play tons, thousand people show up to our last event for the pandemic and Mm -hmm. musicians play songs and they talk about how they relate to death and grieving. And so it was super powerful night. And I learned we're pretty good on the mic together (laughs) and in life together. And then, and I thought, 
you know, I went back. I used to do a show on the commercial station on Sundays because I, I could do the local show. And I used to listen to Loveline when it was, I thought it was pretty good. It got, it got not good. So yeah. I just want to make that clear. But in the, back in the day when it first started, that show was great. And you just didn't hear anything like it. And I thought, you know, Adam Carolla was kind of the DJ guy. And then you had the doctor. Yeah, Dr. Drew is like the doctor guy. Very different than us. I'm not saying that, but I used to hear it because I used to finish my show and have to like, like set it up perfectly. It was commercial radio. I had to end at this moment. So I'd be talking slow or fast to get off the air and then hit the button and listen. So anyway, that was in the back of my head. So I thought, well, what if we did like a updated version of this Mm -hmm. where I'm the guy kind of asking the dumb questions. So I'm good at that. And then leading this, um, getting this information, this amazing person who needs an outlet, I think, to get it out with her life experience and her medical training, my God. And so we were like, well, we're, everyone's doing this during a pandemic. Let's start a podcast is what you got to do. It it was right as we were doing those lawn sessions and stuff. So we realized like, we really liked it. We really liked being able to like have a longer conversation than we could have on the radio. As you know, like you can continue, you can have these long conversations and people can sit with With each other too. Like how cool Yeah. yeah, to have that dynamic. Yeah. She just sits in the chair over here. We like plan it out. We find guests we love that are musicians or doctors or writers or. Yeah. You've had some great people on. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're pretty excited about, um, who we're lining up this year too. And, and, and I think we're even more comfortable, even more honest, I think. And, and it's, yeah, it's getting some traction, which is really nice that people are, are trusting us enough to like let us in the room. But, and then the doctor and the DJ just, I don't know where that popped into my head. It's like, it's like, how is that not taken? I was so excited. That's great. Well, I I love the. I mean, I this is my third podcast. Um, the first one I did was all about addiction, and then they did another one that was sort of this like self personal development irreverent sort of thing. And this this one feels like the one I was building up to, you know. And I'm interested to keep listening to your show. I think you guys you have very good chemistry, which you clearly do. You're married, but you know, having that on air thing. So what's going to happen for you next year? What's up for 2022? I have high hopes for there being more public things. So a lot of what I do is in the public. I'm not dying to get in front and be around a lot of people. I've enjoyed that part um, to get a break. But for me, 2022 is is a rebirth around my world because it's a lot that is closed down. We have a gathering space at KXP where people are always there and, and people see bands at KXP and all this stuff. So for me, it's people being able to be around each other more in 2022. Yeah. I'm launching another business, djjohnrichards.com. You can go there and sign up for my newsletter because we're going to be launching. Yeah, I'm launching another record club. Oh, really? Um, and I haven't announced that yet, but we did one through the through the bar and it worked really well. It was really great. I built all this community like by picking records and like geeking out about records. And so I kind of have this plan to create a record club where people sign up and you're clearly getting a record every month, depending on supply chain issues. Yeah. Um, or if Adele wants to, you know, throw, throw the system off. <laughs> uh, but Hey, what are you gonna do? I didn't know Adele listeners wanted records, but turns out it's a thing. Again. Don't judge. And yeah. Don't get, judge. We all get Everyone, to benefit yeah. from that. I guess. That's right. So I'm not, I'm not angry. It's just, you know, it's, it's capitalism at its best. So, <laughs> or uh, worst. So I want to do that and I want to use it to, I want to help get vinyl made for smaller bands that I think people are going to like. So put some of that money towards producing vinyl records. Mm -hmm. Then they are able to produce the records. And then these, some of them will be exclusive to this club. And then they're getting these records from a band they may not have bought. And so they may be a, a fan for life because here's the model. It's not how many fans you have. It's how many dedicated fans you have. That's it. it. That is the model. If you don't have that model, you're not going to succeed anymore. So if I can create a world where I can have this business running and, and it, it sustains itself and artists get records put out in the world and they get more fans and we put more vinyl in the world, to me, that's win-win. So I've, totally. I think it's going to launch in March. I have to like, I have to like put, put some sticky notes on a board and figure it out. But I think with all the vinyl in my life, I think, I, I think this business has some legs. So I, I want to do that in the new year and see and really build I that. I love that. And I will be in on that. Yeah. DJJohnRichards.com because I'm going to, I got a newsletter going again. Man, old becomes new. It's like you said about the, you know, coming around full circle. I used to have one and then social media, like, oh, you don't need emails anymore. This is, this is so old. This is so dumb and old and nobody does this anymore. And I meant, you mentioned yours and, 
it's such a great way to stay connected and not rely on social media necessarily. And I like writing. I, I like sitting and writing and I can't do that really with social media. But when I can sit and talk directly, you know, it's like, a, it's like having a long conversation with you. You can't, I can't do that on the radio. So for me, that outlet, I'm looking forward to that this year to get writing out. And then also this year, I just, I really, my wife's practice is taking off and I want to support her as she has supported me over the years. So any, you know, that's a big part of how I want this year to go is to be able to like watch her space for that thrive. Yeah. And make the space and be supportive as she's been to me, like as I built my thing. So that's pretty exciting to watch. Well, this has been amazing. You're wonderful to talk to such a treat. And I just thank you for being who you are in the oh, world. Thank you. Yeah, it's great talking to you. Yeah, this yeah. is, it's, it's it's nice being on the other side of this. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you want more TMST, head on over to tmstpod.com and become a member. Members get access to the full uncut versions of these conversations previews of upcoming guests, invites to join me for members-only events, and access to our members-only community where I hang out a lot, especially now that I'm not on social media. We decided from the beginning to make this an independent project. We don't have sponsors and we don't run ads. This means that we can make the show all about you and not what our sponsors or advertisers want. But it also means we're 100% reliant on your support. So my request and my invitation is simple. Support the show by becoming a member, or you can simply make a one-time donation of as little as $5. I cannot stress this enough. You can make a huge difference for as little as $5. Please head over to tmstpod.com right now. Tell Me Something True is engineered and mixed by Paul Chufo. Michael Elsesser and I dreamed up this show and we're looking forward to joining you online and next time on Tell Me Something True.